Welcome to Crossbridge, everybody. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Happy Easter. He is risen. See, some of you, you don't, you're, you, you missed it. He's risen indeed. Where was it? Was that Sam? Is that you? You got that. I can always bank on you. He is risen. Amen. If you are a guest with us today, just like Becky had said, I, I hope that you feel welcomed here. And our hope and our prayer for you, it's the same as it is for every single person who joins us here in person, who joins us online. That is simply this, no matter where you find yourself in your faith, that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus, because that is literally all we are about, is stepping towards Jesus. And so thank you so much for being here. And it's, it's funny because usually at Easter, we are closing up some series. We've kind of worked our way to a point, and we, we culminated Easter, but things are a little different this year because we're kicking off a new series instead of starting or instead of closing one. And, um, you know, the new series that we're going to be kicking off is this series, What Made Him Different? And, you know, we, we have an idea, I think, many people, of the story of Jesus. It's why we're here, and many of you are here today. And so this series is going to look at maybe some of the aspects, some of the things in Jesus's life that made him different. What stood out about Jesus that kind of got him into the situation that he was in? And why did everyone react to him the way that he did? So the next six weeks, I cannot wait to do uh, just so much with the story of Jesus. It's going to be a lot of fun. But if you're here this morning, you, like me, have, we've grown up in a culture that celebrates individuality. Right? This is what we want more than anything. I believe in our culture, we try so hard to be unique. We all try so hard to be unique. And just think about that for a second. We all want to be unique. We all want to be a little bit different, which means that unique and different is pretty much normal. It's the opposite of what you were going for. And it's like, look, I stand out. No, it's just like everybody else. The moment that you discover or you try to be different, it's the moment that everyone else starts doing it and it's no longer different. You know what I'm talking about? You know those moments like when bow ties, now everybody's wearing them. You weren't wearing them five years ago. I ha okay. We do this with haircuts, right? If you were born and you were alive during the 80s, do you remember this? It's like, I'm not sure who started the idea of the mullet or why it's back now. Um, I'm not sure who decided a full can of hairspray would be great, but can anybody, did anybody do this? Come on, you can own up to it. Yep, okay. Yeah, some of you are like, no, 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 he's going to show my picture. I'm not. I didn't search that. But, but I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, everyone started doing it. What was different became normal. If you um, think about clothing in the 90s, as I was a teenager, it was grunge, it was flannel, it was like stuff on chains and corduroy. It was star Raider starter jackets, anybody? Do you remember the overalls with the strap down? The overalls with the strap down? Come on. Yeah. You know, Will's wondering right now if he should slap you for following this trend or not. <laughs> Is it too soon? No. Too late? I don't know. I wasn't here last week, so I know Will got one in. It was good. It was good. You know, it's funny. Today, it, we do this with hair. We do it with clothes. But today, it's wild. I see this so much in the apps on our phone. The apps on our phone, this happens all of the time. The moment an app kind of catches and goes viral, it's with, like, it feels like within a matter of minutes, it is duplicated and there's dozens of versions of that app on the app store, whatever, you know, your Google Android store thing. I don't know what they call that. What is it? Google Play, I don't know. All right, well, you, you, you text me in green, so I try to, you know. <laughs> Listen, how many of you have ever played the game Wordle? 
Any Wordle? Okay, good. All right. Yeah, see, so look around. There's a ton of people who have played Wordle. This game, I'm telling you, this came out of nowhere last year. Nowhere last year. It was a game designed by this guy named Josh Wardle, right? And he made the name off his last name real, like, not hard, right? So he, he makes this game for his friends, his family, and it's just a handful of people playing it. In November, on November 1st, they said it was approximately 90 people playing it. 90 people. By January 2nd, there was about 300,000 people playing it. January 2nd, so we're talking two months. Anybody's going to take that type of growth, right? And on January 9th, so a week later, over 2 million people downloading and playing it. That's absurd, isn't it? From 90 to 300,000 to 2 million people. It was so unique because you could only play it once and there was no ads and it frustrated everybody, right? And yet now, if you go, even after the New York Times bought it and they weeded out a lot of things through um, what you can buy through whatever online store you were in, all the knockoffs, they tried to get rid of them. But as of right now, there's about 700 different versions of this game in 140 different languages. You see, even when something is unique, even when something is different, it's not long until it's copied, until it becomes somewhat normal, and then we just do it all over again, don't we? Eventually, we forget what trend it was and where it started. We forget how we got to that place because something new has happened, and yet we sit here today coming together to celebrate someone who was different. Today, we come to celebrate Jesus of Nazareth, whose life and whose teachings have continued to be radically different, regardless of what time period, what geographic region, what tribe, or what people they're taught in. It doesn't matter. It feels different than anything our world has dealt with. And even in the time and the culture that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, his life and his teachings were radically different. And the last three years of his life disrupted everyone around him because of how different it was. In John's biography of Jesus, and John was one of his best friends, and, and he writes this biography. We call it the Gospel of John. And there's this moment in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. And it's amazing in here because Jesus actually goes to the temple. And as he's going to the temple it's filled with more people than normal. And, and that's because Passover is happening. And so the city would swell with um, all sorts of people because it was a holiday and that's what holidays do, right? Look around. Nothing has really changed. It's the same, right? So, uh, we all come to celebrate. And Jesus walks in and he realizes something is off in the temple. This is very early on in his, in his ministry, we'll say, in, in the, those last three years, he realizes that the temple is taking advantage of people, that they're basically going after the money of all the people who were there with no intention of standing up for justice or using it to help the poor. Again, do you see how nothing has really changed? I understand, I feel this sometimes. And so what Jesus does is he, he gets really angry. He gets like super angry. He begins turning over tables. He's throwing coins all over the place. This was different, just so you know. This was not what you do. That, that You did not come in here today and start turning over the online cameras or be like, you know, that, that piano, duh, no pianos in church. You know, 
This is what Jesus did. He walked into the temple and he started flipping out. And the leaders of the temple, they're frustrated at him, but they also know that something about what he's doing is right. Right? It's, it's, it's horrible and you feel convicted, but you don't want to, what do I do? And so check out what they say to Jesus in the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus here, chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Right? They're not denying something's wrong here. They're not saying what you're doing is off. Instead, they're kind of changing course. And they're like, okay, we see what you're doing. Prove yourself. Prove yourself. Perform some miraculous sign for us. Because here's what you got to understand. The um, Jewish nation as a whole, they had many prophets who would come that, that were called by God to this nation. And every time a prophet showed up to give them a word from the Lord, there was usually miracles that were attached to this, some sort of miraculous sign that happened. And so they became familiar with this. And at this point, they're saying, if, if you're coming in and you're flipping the tables and saying, this is you know, not the way the church should be, do me a favor and uh, prove yourself. Prove that you are a prophet here. So I love this. And Jesus responds, and let me tell you, um, when Jesus responds to someone who kind of claps at him, this is the type of stuff that's different. This is the type of stuff that landed him on a cross. And we always read it all nice and lovey. And you're like, oh, Jesus loves people. Yes. But just loving people doesn't land you on a cross. There's certain things he said that it's like, oh. So Jesus kind of, claps back a little bit. In verse 19, it says this. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? Jesus just said something that everyone would have remembered. Right, he's in the temple. He's surrounded by a bunch of people. The teachers, the disciples of Jesus, everyone who was in the temple for Passover would have heard what Jesus just said here. Tear down the temple. I'll, I'll raise it up in three days. This would have been the thing for the next couple of years that everyone would have gone back when they go to celebrate Passover and be like, yo, you remember that weirdo who said he was going to like, like they were going to tear this place down and he was going to rebuild it? Do you remember that? How crazy was this moment? Everyone would have been talking about this because it was so different. No one would have said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The teachers, though, they're kind of ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus. And, and they kind of come at him with some information that maybe they think he didn't know. And so, like, listen, it's taken 46 years, and what they neglect to mention is an absurd amount of slave labor to build the temple that we're worshiping in now. There is no way we could tear it down in three days, let alone you rise it or raise it up in three days. You cannot rebuild this place. And here's, we need to pause for a second because we're 2,000 years past this moment. And 2,000 years past this moment, we're here celebrating a savior who has risen from the dead. And it's like, we can look at this and go, I know the end of the story. I know that he does what he says. Yeah, but in that moment, no one did. In that moment, it's, it's hard for us to understand how frustrated everyone would have been at Jesus. Imagine knowing someone from infancy, and you've hung out with them for decades, three decades, 
and nothing has really stood out about them. You've just been chilling with them. They're like, just like you. And that's Jesus' story for the most part. For the first 30 years of his life, you have to understand, he did not look different from any other Jewish family that was around him. They celebrated all their holidays together. They practiced Sabbath together. They read scripture together. They prayed together. In many ways, he looked just like everyone else. He had younger brothers and younger sisters. His parents, like I said, pretty religious. And they actually went to temple every single year in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We even get a story from Dr. Luke in his biography of Jesus where they, his whole family goes. It's the only teenage story of Jesus, which is great. They go to Passover, and uh, when they go to celebrate, they accidentally leave Jesus in a city that's swelling with people and like take a couple days home before they realize And Mary and Joseph are like, did you get him? No, did you get him? <gasps> so if you have not left your kid at church for multiple days, you're in great shape right now. And if you happen to leave your kid at church today, they'll be on set or breakdown. It'll be great. It'll be great. And you can pick them up on Tuesday when the school opens again. Right? Now, outside of being left behind, the 30 years that Jesus grew up, he worked, he worshiped God, and he did what every other Jewish person around him did. Now, imagine this man shows up to temple, shows up to church, and he starts flipping tables and yelling at everybody how this is all wrong. I think we would all stop and say, oh, he snapped. Something went wrong. Would you agree? See, we missed this because we're like, oh, he said this and he did. No, no, no. This would have been catastrophic for his reputation in this moment. And now what he says is so different. It's so radical. And now it's stuck in the minds of everybody. He says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will, what's that word? I will raise it up. You see, the Pharisees are concerned with rebuilding. He's concerned with raising. And I know that this lodged into people's minds. I know that everyone remembered this because the teachers of the law especially remember it. Two to three years later, after this moment, Jesus has up to this point and for the next couple of years, he lives a perfect life, radically different than the people expected from around him. And now the Pharisees get what they want because he has frustrated them so much. And ultimately, we find Jesus publicly executed in the most humiliating and horrific way. It was horrible. And he's hung on a cross to be made an example of for this entire nation. He's beaten within an inch of his life and shamed by everyone around him. And, and right as he's hanging on the cross, he breathes his last breath after wishing that all people would be forgiven and that God would not hold this sin against the people there. And he dies. He's confirmed dead by experts, expert soldiers. And two Pharisees, two religious leaders from the temple who have followed Jesus secretly, they did not anyone, want anyone to know. They actually risk by going to Pilate and say, can we have his body? They take his body, they wrap it as quickly as they can, and they lay it in a tomb because in that moment, it's almost Sabbath. It's a 24-hour period where they do not work at all, and they got to get him in the tomb as quick as they can, but they don't finish the whole burial process. And so they get back, and I wonder, as they were taking him down, if they remembered his words. 
I don't know, but I know that their co-workers, these people that they worked with in the temple, these other Pharisees, I know they remembered his words because the Gospel of Matthew, another one of Jesus' followers, tells us this, that on the next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you would seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Listen, it did not take the Pharisees long to figure out that Jesus wasn't talking about the temple building, but his own body. And they remembered they honestly remembered this. And as much as they say we didn't believe him, they believed enough to ask for guards to be stationed by that tomb. They believed enough. Why? Because there was something so radically different about this Jesus than anyone else they had ever seen. When he said something, it happened. Wind calmed. Waves settled. People who were sick were healed, and those who were dead were raised from the dead. If you could not see, you could see. If you couldn't hear, he made you hear. If you were possessed with demons, he relieved you from that, so you were free. All by his words and the power of the Holy Spirit. So just to be safe, they're like, put the guards there. We've seen him do things. I don't know, but in this moment, I don't think they understood that they had more faith in Jesus than his own disciples did. When he was arrested, every one of his disciples scattered. They spread. And when they were accused of knowing him, they all lied. They all deserted. They didn't claim his body, did they? In fact, on Sunday, what we find after this day of Sabbath, they send the women of their group to finish the burial process. They go with all their spices and all their goods to make sure that this is taken care of right. They expected Jesus' body to be in this tomb on Sunday morning. They did not think he would be raised from the dead. I honestly don't think they believed Jesus. I think the Pharisees had more faith in what Jesus said than the disciples did. But the disciples, here's what I love about about the stories of Jesus is they don't hide any of the, uh, the garbage of the disciples' lives. These are some messed up people that follow Jesus, and they kind of own it. Do you remember when Jesus said, I'm going to raise up the temple in three days in John 2? Right after he says that, in verse 21, this is how John writes. He says, but when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. It's not until after Jesus rises from the dead that they're like, oh, you were serious about like, oh, now we get it. He's like, are you guys, like, how many times have we talked about this? I keep telling you, and you, you the Romans nailed him to a cross on Friday. Everybody waited on Saturday with no expectations. And then on Sunday when these ladies arrive, the stone is rolled away and Jesus isn't there. And they're like, oh no, what happened? Someone stole him, someone did something. They did not think he would be raised from the dead. And yet he rose from the dead. He is alive. He defeated the power of sin and death. And over the next couple of weeks, he would physically visit hundreds of people to encourage them, to teach them, to walk with them. I love that he just sat and ate with them because great conversations happen over meals. And he reminded them of everything 
that the scripture said and said, I know you didn't get it, but now that I'm sitting in front of you again, let's look at this again. Do you see this? Oh, I see it now. Soon they understood that the death, everybody dies. But what made Jesus different? It's that he rose from the dead and he is still alive. That he is alive right now and as he explained in that resurrection, they will find life themselves. It changed everything. I don't know that they understood it all completely at that point, and, and I think Jesus tried to help them as much as they could, but as they learned more and discovered more, I, I just absolutely love the way that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae, this small church, like 1,200 miles from them, and I got, I got a great chance to talk to some students last week at Lake Champion about this, and it just excites me because this is how Paul writes about what happened with Jesus. He reminds them in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, you were dead because of your sins and because, of your sin, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And listen, I know that when we go to church, sometimes we say words that we don't really define them, but when, when Paul uses the word sin here, let me just define that so we're all on the same page. Sin simply is anything that we, we think, we say, we do that displeases God. I, I love just kind of saying anything that's not loving God and loving what God loves. If it's not loving God and loving what God loves, it's sin. It separates us from God. This is not what he wants. And this sin earns us death simply being eternal separation from God. The whole passage there says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful, sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Can I tell you that I think humans have a bad habit? We keep score, right? We, we keep lists with each other and you could say, no, Jimmy, I don't do that. Yes, you do. We all do this. We keep score with each other, right? Has anyone ever called you out on something that you apologized for ages ago and they're like, yeah. Yeah, I know, but do you remember when you, and you're like, I, what? I said I was sorry. Yeah, well, you still did it again. Anybody else get things thrown back at them? Please, if you have a teenager in your home, your hands should be way up right now. They remind you of everything you've ever said. They can remember that, but not to empty a dishwasher. I don't know. Listen, I, <laughs> amen. I hear that, amen. Um, you know, it's wild. We keep these lists of trying to be fair with each other, and, and we think that if I do something, then you should do something for me. If, if I step up, then you should step up. And if you harm me, then I have a little wiggle room to harm you. We all play this game, whether you'd like to believe it or not. This is what we do, and we keep, unfortunately, I think, not just this list against e each other, but we keep a running list against ourselves. We start accusing ourselves of things and telling ourselves lies that, that are just not true. I think we take lists and, and make them and defeat ourselves by saying, you know what, family lies. You, your family was this way. They've always been this way, so you're going to be this way. There's no hope for you that way. We, we deal with church lies. I, I, I know a lot of the stories of the people here at Crossbridge, and my story included, we got a lot of garbage and lies that we've dealt with from church 
I understand. I understand that we've been told you have to hide your struggles and behave correctly, look good so that everyone thinks you're fine. And when it comes to our struggles and our pain, it's like, not just hide that stuff. It'll disqualify you from being included in things. People can't know how messed up you are. It's a lie. We have relationship lies that, that some of us are dealing with right now, that you're in relationships and it's, if I don't do this or if I do this, then they're going to leave me or they're not going to, like, how do I keep them here? If I speak up, the abuse may get worse, so I'm better off not speaking up and it'll be fine just to leave it where it is. That's a lie. That's not true. Do you know what these are? These are ammunition for the enemy. These are ammunition for the devil because he is a liar. He is a liar, and one of his names is he is the, the accuser. And these running lists that we keep against other people and we keep against ourselves every time we're ready to move forward to love God more and to love the people around us more, these lists come up that disqualify us and we throw them at ourselves to say, I can't do this. I'm not the right person. And when someone else tries to start loving God, we start throwing shade their way. And, well, this is why they shouldn't be doing that thing. Look at the list against them. And what the enemy does is he wants to direct our eyes at our garbage. He wants to remind each one of us how much we suck. And the difference between the enemy and how he handles our list and Jesus is completely different because verse 14 reminds us that Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And let me tell you, Jesus takes your list, my list, that you create for me, that I create for me, and he takes that record, and we nail it to the cross with him. Those records are covered in his blood, and they die with him. They're not yours. And so you need to stop hanging on to them because you're living in shame, and you're living in guilt, and it is not yours. That is the enemy placing that on you. Because when we place our trust in Jesus, they die with him because Paul finishes saying, and I love it this way, he says, in this way, in verse 15, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What makes Jesus different is through his death and through his resurrection, he has taken the ammunition away from the accuser. He's taken the ammunition away. When we place our hope in the resurrection of Jesus, that record can no longer be held against us. The debt has been paid. And so what we have, I love that I hear them. Okay, online, if you're watching online, our kids are screaming over there, which means they're having fun, and I love it. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for our kids. Let me tell you, when Jesus died on the cross and he took that ammunition away, what many of us are left with for those who have placed their trust in Jesus is the enemy trying to say, you know what, I've got a gun. I've got a gun, and he's putting his hand in his pocket, pointing it at you. I've got a gun. If you do that, I'm going to shoot. No, you've got nothing. You've got a finger. You've got no ammunition. You've got no weapon. You have nothing because Jesus has taken that away from you. The problem is, we actually believe and we sit there with our hands up saying, but I can't do anything, but my life will always be this way. And our eyes get drawn to our feet and we live in shame. This is what makes Jesus different. 
is while the enemy wants us to live in shame privately, Jesus declares his love for us publicly. He took our shame, he took our sins, he took our anxieties, he took our fears, and he put them to death and, and invites us to live in his resurrection. To say, when, when we place our trust in Jesus, when he rose from the dead, now and forever he is alive. He invites us into this to say, you don't have to live under these lies anymore. You know, in John chapter 2, Jesus just said something so different that everyone remembered it. In three days, I'll raise the temple. What's funny is one group tried to fight this, and they fought it through violence, through hate, through lies, and murder. And the other group, his disciples, even though they didn't understand it and openly admitted we didn't get this until later, they chose to place their hope in Christ, in what Jesus said. And they accepted his invitation to follow me, love what I love, and love, love me and love what I love. It's all that he asked. Dedicate yourself to my teachings and follow me. And it costs them dearly because now they were called to a different life too. I think we spend too much time trying to be different. I think we try to be unique in our culture and, and we're always trying to, what's the newest trend? What's the newest thing that we can connect to? And, and if you missed Pastor Will's message from last week as he closed out James, I would highly encourage you to jump back online, jump back on just to listen to that because it was so good. We chase things constantly and waste so much time, effort, money on trying to keep up. But let's just be real. Being different on the outside has become so normal. Could you imagine, just dream with me for a second, what it would actually look like if we took the invitation to be copycats of Jesus? What if that's what made us different? What, what would it look like if we accepted his invitation to actually be loved? To show grace to ourselves because... Let's be real, we don't do that, and we need that, and we can't do it without Jesus. What would it look like if being different meant that we showed up to love others? That's the church I want to be. That's the type of followers of Jesus I think he's asking for is place your hope in me and love the garbage out of the people around you. Let me tell you, that'll look different. And it will cost you. But this is what we're invited to. Our first step in doing that is placing our hope and our trust in Jesus. And so I just want to ask you, have you done that? Have you, have you placed your trust in Jesus? And, and maybe you're sitting here right now and you're saying, but Jimmy, I, you don't understand. I've already done all these things. And when I get this worked out, then I'll be ready that's garbage and those are lies because you'll never get it worked out. None of us will. You know when life will be perfected? One day after death if your hope is in Jesus. But right now, I believe we need the grace that God offers through Jesus Christ. And so if you've never placed your hope in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. And so if this is something that you want to do, I'm just going to ask together that we would... Um, we would just, would you join me in prayer? And if this is something you would like, 
There is no special prayer in the Bible that you have to pray. It really is admitting the fact that I've got garbage that I need to deal with, but I don't know how to, so I'm going to give it to you and ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can love and follow everything that you've done. So would you pray with me? And this is the desire of your heart. You could just pray this right where you're at. Jesus, I thank you for hope. I thank you for peace. And I recognize that I have a lot of things in my life that are sinful. They're not loving you, and they're not loving the people around me. Would you forgive my sins? I give them to you to be nailed to the cross. Holy Spirit, would you fill me so that I may be alive with Christ? Fill me with hope. Fill me with joy. Fill me with peace so that I might love Jesus and love all the people around me. Holy Spirit, help me extend the grace to myself that you extend to me. I love you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us, all I want to do is just stop and say, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. And if you have not placed your hope and your trust in Jesus in your life, but Jimmy, I don't, I, there's a lot of questions I got with this. I understand, and that's totally cool. That's why we're doing Alpha, because we recognize there's a lot of things on your seat. There's those cards that are there. Take it, put it in your pocket. I hope it pricks you, and you're like, ah, oh, what was that? I should probably sign up for this. I, yes, I said, I hope it pricks you, and you're like, what? Yeah, it's Jesus, you know, just whatever. If you're here and you have followed Jesus, and you're like, but I'm, I'm struggling with how to share the gospel and what, what this means, go, go. It will give you insight, give you help, because today we remember the resurrection of our Lord.